St. James Lutheran Church. This is our Monday, Thursday service uh, for this year. Uh, Please join us tomorrow night for our Good Friday service as well. We're going to do, as close as possible, we're going to try to do a Tenebrae service. Uh, So be back here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And then, of course, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday at 9 o'clock, we'll get together again and worship. I'm really glad you're here uh, worshiping with me uh, tonight. Let's go ahead and begin. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, great God, whom we behold in awe and wonder, who has kept covenant and steadfast love with Your people from age to age, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from Your commandments and ordinances. We have known in our hearts what is right, and yet we did wrong anyway. We have been fascinated by evil, delighted with pleasing ourselves, satisfying our desires, serving ourselves with pleasures. O Lord, great God, have mercy on us according to Your steadfast love. We know You are a God who delights in goodness. Grant that we too might delight in goodness. We know You are a God who rejoices in peace and justice. Grant that we might be at peace with ourselves and each other. O Lord, great God, grant that our hearts might be filled with the love of justice, with peace beyond understanding, with patience, with joy. These prayers we present to You, O Father, in the name of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and yet lives forevermore. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all your sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from 1 John. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. Amen. The psalm reading uh, for this evening is just a few verses from Psalm 34. The psalmist says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. The Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 24, and there's a few things that are kind of odd to our modern ears in this text, because this is a covenant ceremony. Moses is um, ratifying the covenant that God is making with Israel through the Ten Commandments. And one of the weird things that he's going to do here is he's going to slaughter some animals, take the blood, split the blood up into two separate bowls, take part of the blood and splash it up against the altar, representing God's presence, and take the other half of the blood and sprinkle it on the people. And what he's doing there is he's saying, 
God is entering into a covenant with you. God promises to be faithful to this covenant, and he calls you to be faithful to this covenant. And whichever party is not faithful to the covenant, may the blood of this animal represent the blood that that person should shed. Whoever is faithless, may they be slaughtered like this animal was. Anyway, you know the rest of the story. God remains faithful to the covenant, but we, his people, don't. But instead of us having to pay the covenant penalty, God himself takes that covenant penalty on him. This is the background for part of that. Exodus 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the just decrees. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel, who offered burnt offerings of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Epistle reading comes from the sermon to, uh, the sermon that we find in the book of Hebrews. And a lot of the same themes, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the pastor of, he, of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is probably a sermon, is preaching and he's preaching about how much better the new covenant ratified in Christ's blood is than the old covenant. How much better Jesus is than the temple. How much better Jesus is than the past sacrifices. And about halfway through this reading, he's going to start talking about wills. And he means the kind of will that you make before you die. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that, we, of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of, of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, 
Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Gospel reading tells the story of the first Lord's Supper. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, One of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is a really, really weird situation. Uh, Frankly, it's kind of bizarre to have a Monday Thursday service, uh, which is designed to celebrate uh, the very first Lord's Supper on that Passover right before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, But here we are, Uh, not having communion together. And I'll just tell you that the elders have kind of uh, uh, struggled with this for a little bit. And uh, we've got a problem. And the problem is is that we want to be safe, uh, physically safe in the middle of this virus. Um, And we're trying to balance that with creativity. What are the ways that we can have communion and still be safe? And uh, in the middle of that struggle, um, safety and creativity don't always go together. Um, in fact, the, the creative ways that we would have to have communion in order to still be safe and observe the shelter in place and to keep uh, distance from each other uh, would have us doing communion in a novel way. And um, uh, maybe those ways would be okay, but it's a big decision to do communion in a way that's never been done before. And so right now we've been uh, trying to uh, play it on the safe side a little bit. And now for those of you who missed communion, a question that you might have is, uh, so what do I do, right? I, I miss it. I want it. I want that connection with God. And you should be assured, of course, that the reality that communion is about, I mean, communion is fundamentally, the fundamental message of Holy Communion is God became human, God became flesh to rescue us in our humanity, to rescue us in our flesh. That is still real. Whether we're having communion or not, that reality is unshakable. So, so you know, a good example is this. Say that there's a a parent who, for military reasons, has been called to serve in active duty overseas and can't can't be with his or her kids for several months. 
the relationship, the parent-child relationship, the love that they have for each other is still there. It's just there's a, separ- a physical separation briefly, which is unfortunate, but it doesn't mean that they're any less related to each other. And that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in now. God is still for us. Jesus still sits at the right hand of God, pleading on our behalf. And yet, we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait to have communion together as a body. So what can you do instead uh, while we're waiting? First of all, like I said, Jesus is still on the throne. Communion is the Word of God in bread and wine form. We still have the Word of God in written form. Take this time to dig deep into God's Word, to spend time with God by studying the Bible. God is present here. This isn't just a book. This is the voice of God speaking to us as people. Spend time in God's Word. More time, this is a good opportunity to spend maybe more time than you have in the past, getting close to who God is for you. The second thing that you can do is get a hold of me and come up here to the church and we can have communion in a small group. We've done this uh, several times over the past couple weeks with several, several different people. If you'd like to do this and you feel safe doing this, come up here and we can have communions together in groups less than 10. Family group or as an individual or a group of sm- a small group of friends and we'll do it in a safe way, keeping our distance from each other, well sanitized, and we can have communion that way. The third thing you can do is this. Be longing for the day when we can come back together and experience communion together as a family once again. Be longing for it. Be desiring it. Be aching for it to come here. That's what I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you a little bit about this back end. How can we better long for communion? On a night when we can't have communion together, how can we learn to long for it and to crave it more passionately and more deeply? So let's talk about that. There's uh, one of the problems that we, uh, I'm a Lutheran, many of you are Lutherans. One of the problems that we have as Lutherans is, and I won't even exactly call it a problem, is that whenever we talk about Holy Communion, one of the first places that we go to immediately is communion is the real presence of Jesus in the bread and the wine. This, of course, is absolutely true. It's biblical. not really going to argue for it tonight. It's biblical. But for many of us, and this is why I say it's kind of a problem, by going there so quickly, we cut ourselves from the front end of that. Why from the Bible do we believe that Jesus Christ is present in Holy Communion? It's kind of like, uh, some of you know that uh, my father was uh, my high school algebra teacher. And I've told you that, some of you this before, but one of his main rules was you have to show your work. You can't just know the right answer. You can't just know the, the answer is X equals 92. You have to be able to show how you got there. Many of us know that X equals 92. We know that Holy Communion is the true presence of Christ. But we kind of forgot, if we ever did know at all, how to do the math to get there. In any algebra class, there's a group of, usually a small group of students who know that X equals 92, and they know how to get there. There's a larger group of students who might know that the answer is X equals 92 because they can kind of figure it out, but they really don't know how to get there. There's another group, too, and this is the group I want to speak to tonight, that maybe you know why X equals 92, but, but the question for you is, what does this matter? If you've ever been in an algebra class, you'll know that there's an equally large number of people who say, okay, Algebra. What am I going to do? How does this help my life in the future? A lot of us feel that way about communion. We believe that Jesus Christ is present in the bread and the wine when it's combined with the Word of God. But for what reason? 
I mean, what good does it do us? I guess a lot of us have a sort of vague sense that it has something to do with the forgiveness of sins. But you tell me, aren't you already forgiven if you're a believer? Haven't your sins already been paid for by the blood of Jesus? Why do you need Holy Communion? Well, let's talk about that tonight. What is it that we need that Holy Communion provides? What is it about the back end of Holy Communion that benefits us? And maybe as we talk about this, it'll encourage me and you to look forward more passionately to the day when we can all get together and celebrate the Lord's Supper together again. I'd like to, if we can, go to Psalm 34 to talk about this question. What do we need? What, what good is communion? What do we need that communion provides? Like I said, forgiveness of sins, right? I mean, Jesus says it in the words of institution. A lot of us have a sense, a, a right sense, that there's more to it than just, when Jesus says the forgiveness of sins, he means more than just the legal wiping away of your sins. Luther says it great, although a bit vague, because he has to be as general as possible in the space that's been given to him. In the Catechism, when he says that in the Holy Supper, we get forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. What does he mean by life and salvation? What's well, a lot of different stuff here. And let's talk about a little bit tonight about what does it mean that in Holy Communion, in salvation, God gives us not just the forgiveness of sins, but also all of life and salvation broadly. Exodus 34, I'm going to read these verses again to us. I'm sorry, Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Two things here. First of all, we see that God saves us from all our troubles. Look at verse 6 again. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. What does he mean by all the troubles, all his troubles, all your troubles? Well, all your troubles, right? Think about all your troubles. Everything, all the troubles in your life. Right now we have the trouble of a pandemic. A lot of us have relationship troubles, general health troubles, loneliness troubles, work troubles, car troubles. He, God says in Psalm 34, he is going to deliver us out of all our troubles. If you've been with us through Lent, think about the penitential Psalms and all the troubles that the psalmist grapples with there. It's not just all spiritual stuff. It's not just all about my relationship with God. So much of it's about people who are against me. So much of it's about loneliness. So much of it's about physical pain and disease. So much of it is about the, the terror of being pursued by enemies. These are all the troubles that God wants to save us from. Lots of times we restrict as Christians the word save to a purely spiritual concept. And yet here in Psalm 34, it's not just spiritual. God wants to save us out of all our troubles. Note that word save there. The very last line of verse uh, 6. Saved him out of all his troubles. This is the exact same word that's used throughout the rest of the Bible for all different kinds of troubles. For instance, it's the same word that Peter uses when he's walking on the water out to Jesus in the storm and he starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. Peter's not really thinking I feel really guilty for my sins right now. I wish my prayer life was better. I hope I go to heaven when I die. Peter's thinking, I'm about to drown. God, save me. 
It's the exact same word that the ruler of the synagogue uses, uh, that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Jesus uses to the ruler of the synagogue when he says to him, when he comes and says, can you save my daughter who's dying? And Jesus says, yes, I will save your daughter. Exact same word. When the woman with the chronic flow of blood comes to Jesus and touches the hem of his garment and is rescued, Jesus turns to her and says, go in faith, daughter. Go in peace, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Saved her physically. Raised a little girl from the dead. Saved a man from drowning. The word saved in the Bible means everything. All our troubles. God wants to save us from all our troubles. That's his plan. Not as he just save us from our troubles. He saves us from the fear that those troubles cause. Look up at verse 4. I sought the Lord, the psalmist says, and he answered me and delivered me, not just from all my troubles, but delivered me from all my fears. The word here for fear is a word that pops up three times in the Old Testament. And it always means that it's never the word that's used for the fear that we have, you know, the reverential fear, the love and fear that we have for God our Father. It's always, in those three times, it's always a word used for terror. Like just this gnawing feeling that the bad thing that you dread is happening and is going to destroy you. All three times it means this. This terror of what's going to happen. So our troubles, this is just a fact, right? Our troubles always carry with this, always carry with them fear. Our troubles always carry with them fear. Why is this important that I make this point? Let me ask you a question. Think about this for a second. What's worse, the troubles of your life or the fear that they cause? Think about that for a second. Any of us who are honest will say, you can't really separate those things, right? You can't separate the outside problems that we have from the inside problems that we have. All of our outside problems that we have, cancer, uh, dwindling savings accounts, uh, um, losing our job, all of these things, being lonely, all of these things come along with, inextricably linked with, fear, anxiety, bitterness, lust, greed, temper. You can't separate. In fact, there's a strain of Christianity that would like to separate our physical problems from our spiritual problems and say, well, Jesus came to pay for your sins, and then, well, you know, you just kind of have to gut it out until you die, and then you get to go to heaven. But actually what Psalm 34 is saying is that God wants to save us from our inside problems and our outside problems. God wants to save us from our troubles, our circumstances, but he also wants to save us psychologically from our fears. He's saving us from both. How does he do this? He does this not by giving us advice, not by giving us directions, but by giving us himself. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. How does this deliverance happen? It happens when the angel of the Lord encamps around us when we get swallowed up in the angel or the messenger of the Lord. Now, who is this messenger of the Lord? Frequently in the Old Testament, the messenger of the Lord is the Lord himself. Do you remember the story where God calls upon Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? And Abraham obeys, and just as he's about to slaughter Isaac, the angel of the Lord, Genesis 22 says, comes and stops him and says, don't do that because now I know that you fear me. Instead, I'm going to provide a ram. And at the end of this story... The angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, I, the Lord, am promising to you. It's the angel of the Lord who calls himself the Lord talking to Abraham. 
in that text, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, is, I like to think of it as, a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. How do, in other words, verse 7, how does God save us? God saves us by giving us himself. God saves us by encamping around us, by taking care of us. And how does he do this? Does he just give, us, does he just give himself to us mentally here? Does he just say, I want you to think about me. I know you're in all these troubles. I know that you have fear from all these troubles or anxiety or lust or greed. Look, you just need to think about me more. There are some parts of Christianity that would say what happens at Holy Communion is a chance to think about Jesus more. But this is cold comfort. In my troubles and in my fear, I don't need to think about God more. I need God more. God wants to save me. Not just to give me a thought exercise about him, but to actually save me, to encamp around me. Think about that military family. What if the kids of that family hadn't seen their mom or dad for, let's say, three or four months, and they're distraught and they're crying because they miss their parent? Would it be good comfort? Would it be gospel comfort to go to them and say, hey, you just have to buck up. You're fine. There's no reason to be sad. Just think about your mom or think about your dad. No person who actually wanted to help that kid would say anything as cold and lifeless as that. It's actually no help at all. Think about somebody who was homeless and needed money. What if you walked up to them and said, hey, you know what, I know you need money, you're hungry and you need to eat, you don't have very good clothes, you don't have a place to stay. Here's, I'm going to help you out. Just, I want you to think for five minutes. I want you to think about money. Just think about money. That wouldn't be helpful at all. In fact, it would be antagonistic. If all God did for us was just to say, think about salvation, but not give us salvation, that would be the worst of all comforts. That would be torture. That might even be what hell tastes like. Think about somebody who's desperately hungry. Would you say to them, think about food for a little bit? No, because their problem is they need food. Their trouble is that they're hungry. Their fear is starvation. My trouble is hunger. My trouble is I'm lonely. My trouble is I have all these besetting sins that are always attacking me. My trouble is that I know I'm about to die. My trouble is that I or my family or my friends or my church members, fellow church members, are going to get this coronavirus. I don't need somebody to say, hey, think about God for a few minutes. I need God to come and rescue me. That's why verse 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say think about how good God is. Taste and see. See, God wants us to experientially, not just with our minds, not just with our emotions, yes, with our minds, yes, with our emotions, not just with our psyche, not just in our relationships, not just with our bodies, but with all of those things. God wants us to know in our minds that he's good because he wants us to experience in our emotions that he's good because he wants us to feel in our bodies that he's good. He wants us to taste and see. He wants us to experience viscerally his goodness. If we're going to be saved, if we're going to be saved not just from our fears but from our troubles, if we're going to be saved not just on the inside but on the outside, we're going to need God to become a human so that he can save all of us. People, that's what's happening at Holy Communion. The gospel is there for every part of us, our insides and our outsides. The gospel is there to experience. This is why Jesus became a human, because he didn't want to just save our minds. He wanted to save all of us. And that's what he's doing in Holy Communion. Taste and see that the Lord is good.
Let's pray. God, we pray tonight that even as we aren't able to be together, even as right now we are not experiencing your love for us, the power of your forgiveness of sins, the power of the new life that you've given us, the power of your holistic, universal cosmic salvation in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. We know that it's still real. We want to taste and see that you're good. And you've given us so many ways to do this, especially in reading your word, hearing your word preached, in the relationships that we have with our fellow Christian family members, our fellow Christian friends. We long for the day. Make the day happen soon where we can get back together and experience who you are in the bread and the wine. We can taste you. We can see you. We can hold you. We can experience you physically. We want that confirmation. We want that experience. And so we pray that you would bring it to us quickly. Pray again tonight for all the people who are struggling with health issues and the fear that goes along with them. Maybe it's not fear about the coronavirus. Maybe it's fear about some other specific health issue that you're struggling with. Comfort comfort all of us, Lord, with the knowledge that you are healing all of our sicknesses, our inside sicknesses and our outside sicknesses. That you, by becoming human and rising from the dead, have promised and guaranteed and signed and sealed and delivered the goods of the new creation, the goods of eternal redemption, of eternal wholeness, of deliverance, of salvation. We praise you for this. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray together the prayer that Jesus Himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen.
Love for 